Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Daou, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Welcome everyone to another amazing episode with Secrets from the Saddle, all things cycling podcast with your host Sylvie Dow. And I am ex- so excited to um, interview this family who has been cycling for the last 10 years all across the world. Now, I was introduced to them by a friend of mine in my cycling club, Nicolette. Thanks, Nicolette. They bumped into, I think they, you guys ran into each other cycling across Canada? Yeah, that kind of. We, uh, we contacted them through Warm Shower. I don't know if oh, you know. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And so, yeah, we were hoping to have them here talking to our club, but they're like, uh, no, we're kind of <laughs> we're going that way instead of coming here. And of course, with the winter and everything. So I was like, well, maybe we should get them on uh, a podcast and an interview so that we can really get, you know, maybe we can have you back and do something like this for our club members. I think that would be exceptional. But before we get into hearing her story, Celine's story, um, I'm going to just go through a little bio and then we're going to get into hearing all about their adventures. And like I said, I'm really excited about this as a mom, as a cyclist. Um, I have lots of questions. So here, here goes our bio. (laughs) Here goes our bio. Uh, Hi, everyone. Yeah, so I'm just going to introduce and then you can, the, I'm going to hand over the platform to you. And so here's their bio. For the last 10 years, they've been nomads on the world, on the roads of the world. They have cycled over 78,000 kilometers in four continents from China to Alaska, from Syria to New Zealand. Their two daughters were born along the way. Nala, Nala, yeah, Uh, learned to walk in front of the anchor temples in Cambodia, and Phoebe made her first steps in a yurt in Mongolia. Oh my gosh, so who are they? This is Celine, her husband, Xavier, 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 um, is an architect and photographer, Celine, who is with us here is an anthropologist, mountain leader, and writer. So since 2010, they have been nomads on the roads of the world by cycle. So welcome, 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 Celine. I, you know, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, hi, everyone. 
Um, I'm really happy to be here and uh, to speak about, to explain you a little bit of our life, our nomadic life. Um, so maybe... Um, well, what we could do is just go from the beginning, like, what is your story around cycling first for you? And how did you meet up with your husband? And then how did you put together this plan 10 years okay, ago? Okay, so that's a long story. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you yeah. can condense it. <laughs> we, we are not cyclists, actually. So oh, we, really? we didn't have any bicycle before we left. So we, we are mountaineers. So I'm a mountain leader. And we used to do a lot of mountaineering back in Switzerland because we're from Switzerland. And um, so Xavier had this idea about cycling. Well, he had this idea of going through the land all the way to New Zealand because he had already traveled in New Zealand in a few places and he wanted to reach New Zealand all the way by land. And then that same summer, he met a cyclist that was doing it on a bicycle. And so he said, well, that's a great idea. I'm going to do it by bike. And then That's a little faster than hiking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we met, um, two weeks later, we met, uh, we didn't know each other. And then Xavier, this idea about, you know, traveling the world. I think I fell in love, you know, of a man that had, you know, big, I dream, big ideas, big dreams and wanted to realize them. Um, I didn't quite know if we was going to be, if we was going to realize them or not, but you know, <laughs> And then, um, so we were a couple, and after a few days, I said, well, you know, can I come with you? Can I join you on this big adventure? And he thought for a bit, and he was, yeah, sure, great. So, and now he's happy because he always, he always joke about the fact that when it's difficult, I choose to come along, and he didn't push me to come along. So, um, it ended up, like, perfect. So, then we decided, it took us one year to prepare everything to leave. So in one year, we didn't really choose anything. Like we didn't, we wanted to enter the country as a white page. So we didn't choose anything, but we didn't read about the country. We didn't read about the culture. We wanted to really enter without any, you know, prejudice or without any thought or without any pre-ideas of what it would be like. And so we took the map of the world and Xavier said, I want to go there. And I said, I want to go there. And we, I want to go there. And so we draw a line on the, with a pencil of all the places we wanted to go. And then we decided that it was just an idea and that we will let the wind carry us along the way. And so um, that's basically what happened because we started in wow. Switzerland and five years later, we reached New Zealand. And it took us um, five years, 50,000 kilometers. Five years? Yeah, five years. So we thought it would take us three years. The idea was to cycle within three years. And it actually took us five. And our first daughter was born along the way. So Naila was born along the way. Okay. So we really let... Hold on, Celine. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody who's listening, make sure that you get and watch this on the YouTube channel because Celine has a bunch of pictures, okay? So if you're listening on the podcast, try and jump over to the YouTube video. Okay, sorry, I just had to say that because I forgot to say something and okay, go ahead. This is awesome. So, um, so yeah, so that's what our way looked like. And actually we realized that 
our past revealed the symbol of infinity. So two loops, one around the sacred mountain of the Altai, that is in Siberia, and one around the high mystical peak of the Himalayas. And so, yeah, that's how the, the wind, you know, took us along, along the world. You know what? Oh no, I, I interviewed a guy from Italy and it couldn't have been you guys, but he said that he, um, so he, he did a lot of like sort of part of Europe and everything. And he came across this couple and he, and it was part of his interview and he's like, she was so happy, but it could have been you cause you would have had kids at the time. <laughs> but I'm just like, what if you guys have crossed paths? That would have been so weird. But he had, uh, this would have been, you would have had your children by then. But he was just like, yeah, this woman, she was so happy. And I'm like, I could picture you being that person, like somebody coming across both of you and you being like, just elated about your travels. Yeah. So yeah. continue. So that's the, yeah, that's the first part of the journey. And after we decided to keep on going. So once we reached New Zealand, um, we wrote a book and then, so that was just a small stop so that we can um, think about what was the next adventure. Like do, we like to have a project because it's like a big picture of what, where we want to go. Not necessarily where we want to go because New Zealand was a destination and after a while it stopped being a destination. We realized after a year and a half on the world that we were more, um, we just became nomads. And that, you know, it wasn't a journey anymore. It was our life. And that's this is actually how we decided to have an island the way. Because we felt it was our life, we thought, well, if it's our life, and, you know, we felt that we, we could have a child on the way. So we said, well, okay, why not? And then Naila was pretty excited about the, the idea. So she came and <laughs> she went, you're pretty excited. He's excited. You're like, but I have to carry the baby and cycle. And then I have to figure out where to, <laughs> how yes, to, okay. uh, So then we, it was, um, so we were in the Himalayas and Hopefully. I got the that I was pregnant. So I waited until I was at 5,500 meter elevation, basic Mount Everest to tell Xavier that he was going to be a dad. You go, did you do, did you track? No, no okay. Yeah. We trek, but we didn't trek to Mount Everest. We just stopped at uh, 5,500 meters. Oh, okay. Was that, is that like Namchi Bazaar? Because I've trekked up there. Uh, it was, it's, uh, it's further. It was at Kalapatar. Okay, yeah, Kalapatar. Well, yeah, okay. So that's basically where everybody goes around. You go up Kalapatar, you get like the 360 and then, oh my gosh, wow. That's exciting. Was exciting so that's that's the magic of our life like we travel around the world and we're all the time together and experiencing all the the magic of the world and um and speaking of magic when we left we decided two things so i said i said about the preparation we did it took us one year to prepare the things but the really the two things that we choose to do the first thing was to get all the equipment ready to break temperature from one extreme to the, the other in the less way possible. And then the second yeah. was to, we, to kind of define the line, define what we expected out of this journey, to kind of have the same line, you know, in a couple of 
what we wanted, what, you know, what was our expectation, what was the journey going to be like. And by doing that, we decided that we would trust people. And so in all the country we've been, we never lock our bicycle. And we, where we've been, we never, we just leave them in front of a stall, in front of a big, huge supermarket for an hour or two with all our belongings. And we leave them for an hour or two and come back. And we've never got anything stolen. And actually, when we were in Bangladesh, um, so Bangladesh is super, it's considered to be one of the poorest countries in Asia. And it's, if, if you've ever been to Bangladesh, you know it's, it's like an ant here. There's so many people everywhere. And so Dhaka is the capital, and it, it's, just, uh, it's just wild. And we lost something on our bicycle, and someone took it and managed to follow us through the human obstacle to give it back to us. And so this is for us really the magic of our life. And I think by trusting people, we really, you know, receive it back. So, okay. Now, six years of breastfeeding. Okay. <laughs> so I just saw that. Now, your birth of your daughter, where did, where was she, where did you have her? Did okay, you stop so, for like a couple of months? Yeah. Yeah. So I cycle, um, so I was pregnant and I cycle pregnant um, until seven months. So I cycle and travel until I was seven months pregnant. I keep cycling until the last day, but um, <laughs> I had a, so it was, I had something else than a tent. And, um, and we, we gave birth in Malaysia because everything converted to was a small island called Penang in Malaysia. And, um, and been there. yeah, this, you've been there? Okay, yeah, great. It's beautiful. The yeah. island of food. It's the most delicious food in the world, I think. Oh. <laughs> wow. So you had her there? Were you, were you assisted? Did you go to the hospital? Yeah. Do you have them? So, we, we really wanted a natural birth. And so we send, we were looking in Asia because we were already in Asia in places where we can have a natural birth. And there's lots of places in Asia where midwives have not recognized just because um, they are pushing women to go to hospital to have their baby. Um, and so I really wanted to be uh, accompanied by a midwife, uh, but I was looking at all this, the option and actually we found a doctor that was doing water births and I decided to go to Malaysia to have a water birth. Like everything converted towards Malaysia and I thought, well, I'm just gonna listen to what's opening to, to me. So, um, so when we arrived, we had two options in Malaysia, one in Kuala Lumpur, one in Penang. And when we arrived in Kuala Lumpur, we said, no, that's not the place. I'm, yeah, this is yeah not I, I agree, yeah. that's a little too busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so we cycle another 500 kilometers. I was seven months pregnant. It was 40 degrees. And then I, reached, um, I remember being in a hotel the day before we got on Penang Island and look, thinking, well, yeah, we, we had a really a few bad, very hot days. So we decided to go in a place where it was uh, aircon so I couldn't just relax a little bit. And I remember looking at a picture on the wall and there was a forest and there was a path in the forest that was illuminated and i thought okay okay i just need to trust it's going to be okay and then i stepped on penang island and we knew it was going to be there 
like we just knew it it was just the atmosphere of the energy of the, the island was just amazing and that's where Lila was born I remember just a little bit of that island we didn't spend much time I was traveling with a, a boyfriend at the time and we had come back from Thailand yeah, Thailand, uh, Malaysia, and, and we to Penang, and then to Singapore, and then, and then over. That was a very quick little trip, but it was nice. It was a nice little island. So you've okay. So then so I stayed. So then huh? I stayed for. So then I we stayed for five months, um, oh. when she was born, and then we decided to hit the road when she was five months old. Because then, then she can sit up in the chariot. Gosh, the chariots, and aren't they amazing? Well, she didn't sit up at that time. She was still oh. too, too small. Did but she her was down? laying in a hammock. She, was, she had a hammock, so she was laying in a hammock. Okay, yes. I used to have one. I had a chariot as well for my three kids. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember as soon as they were... <laughs> so my daughter, my first daughter, when she was born... I just, I wanted to go out. So I strapped her sideways because I had a double sideways with all the straps and we went for a ride. <laughs> and, and then I would put her in the car seat and then strap her in and we would go to like play groups and stuff like that. Cause I just like, I've been, I've been riding for a long time, but all right. So you are got, so you left Penang. So that's, that's five years in. So can I ask a couple questions about money? How do you keep going as nomads? Did you work and travel or did you, did you have savings or how did you keep going? So, so Xavier was, um, he was a draftman architect and I'm an anthropologist and a mountain leader. And so when when we left Switzerland, of course, we had a little bit of saving, but, um, and, and uh, we actually, we, we changed. So just before we left, we got a um, contract with a magazine. So we wrote some article for Swiss magazine. And so this and the fact that as we went along, we, like we basically, Xavier became a photographer and I became, it, it was already his passion, but he became now a photographer and I'm a writer. And, um, and that's how we can keep on going. So we wrote a book, we write for article and we write article for magazines and newspaper. Um, uh, we also do some exhibition, photo exhibition. And, um, and we do a lot of talks. Uh, we used to do a lot of talks. We like, you know, live talks and we can speak that's with everyone. Uh, mm -hmm. But now we do some webinars. So we do some webinars on the, on, uh, on the web. And so we speak for companies or we can speak for associations, for schools, for, you know, many different uh, subjects and topics. We have quite a lot of topics that you can see that is either through countries or we can explain some different countries or sometimes even some topic that goes through like, a, um, you know, learning to work with your fears or trusting life or things like that. And basically what, so we, that's one thing, but the other thing is that we really learn to live a life of simplicity because every night we sleep in a tent. Um, we, all our life is made on very simple choice. 
but at the same time, first, because we cannot carry anything, like we can, you know, like we can't carry a lot. So the choice is very simple with that. Yeah, sorry. And then we, can't, we can't afford to go, we usually never go to a cafe. Usually when it's raining, we're wet and then we get dry when the sun is here. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very simple life, but at the same time, it um, really brings us in touch, you know, in, with a very different relationship with nature and a very different relationship with, uh, with the people. So, um, yeah, we really enjoy it. We're just living a very simple life. But of course, if you want to help us to inspire more people. Oh, um, gosh, I do, I ever. Well, get our book or, you know. Um, yes. So, I've, you know, um, yeah. And I will definitely be, while we're just talking about that, I'm going to put all their links and you have to go through them. Like there's some exceptionally amazing pictures. Like, wow. Um, and uh, some of their articles, they have a lot of them on their website. And um, yeah, there's a lot of links in here. Um, Instagram, YouTube, they have videos there. So I'm going to put it all there and you can go buy their book. You can book them for uh, a webinar. Like this would be a great one, especially now, you know, with everybody being inside, because I think um, I think a lot of people are looking at bike touring, like for trips, you know, short trips, uh, regional trips, you know, like within their province. Like I know a lot of people who've gotten on their bikes and have done like weekenders or gone for a week and just explored different areas. I think more and more people are going to that like I haven't even been thinking about it because my husband mentioned it and I was like well no I don't know and then the more I talk <laughs> to people like yourself and um I'm like why not why not it scares me to death but I won't lie um and you know you I've traveled of? pardon what are you scared of uh what am I scared of you know, what am I scared of? And the thing is, then I shouldn't be scared of. I've traveled in Asia, Nepal, and India, just backpacking. So I, you know, I've lived in very simplest, sim, simplistically. Um, and, uh, and I've, you know, I know how to get by on very little. It doesn't bother me. Um, I think it's just the maybe it's the miles like the kilometers on the bike i don't know maybe it's i don't well, know so it's very interesting so there's different way of traveling on a bike um a lot of some people like to do it like a competition or challenge and it can be a way to do it um, yeah. we don't do it no because it's really i mean i can't imagine yeah, it's can. true it's really a mean of transportation and it's amazing because you get to really be in the nature and in the country. So you get to, you know, feel the things. Um, we can, like, like now, if we ever get in a car, it's just a nightmare because you don't feel the wind, you don't have the smell, you don't have the scent, you don't have the, you know, the heat or the cold. And so you really get immersed into the nature by traveling on a bike. And then also the bike is a fabulous way to meet the people. 
Um, one time we were in Iran and um, we arrived in a small village and it looked very kind of austere and we would never stop here if we didn't, if we were not by bike, but we needed water. So we stopped and um, we, uh, you know, the, all the women were lining up in front of a baker that was uh, making some Barbary bread. It smelled so good. And um, <laughs> we decided to ask them, well, you know, ask a woman, where can we find water? And one woman showed us the well. And then the 10 minutes that we needed to pump the water was enough to, you know, create a connection. We have a reason to be there. Like we, you know, it break the invisible barrier and then we invited to have a tea. And then it's the start of a whole new story. And so it's really a, an amazing way to get in contact with the population. And also because we're so self-sufficient with everything, we're so autonomous, that when we need someone, we're not in a relation of need. We're just in a relation of we are there and you are there. And you know we can just share who we are. And uh, so I think it's really great. And that's also how we ended up learning so many languages, just because we were speaking with the people. So in, for example, in Syria, people invited us all the time. Like one time they're saying, you can't sleep in a tent. You have to come, come in my house. You know, you stay with us, you sleep with us. Um, tomorrow morning you eat breakfast and then maybe you can leave. Sometimes we even have to stay. <laughs> and then in Turkey, same, like we would drink tea all the time. Like sometimes we had to stop 10 times to drink tea. And so, yeah, and then, but we learned to speak Turkish and the most amazing thing is that we didn't know it, but the empire and Ottoman went all the way through Mongolia and some part of China and Russia. So then we traveled through this country. Um, we were in Iran where we could speak with the Azaris. Then in Central Asia, they mostly use uh, Turkmen, Uzbek, Kazakh, Kyrgyz are all part of a, it's a, it's a kind of Turkish. So the Turkish that we learned was enough to go and speak with the people. So, and then even in some mi minorities in China, like the Uyghurs people. And so people loved it because we could speak their language. And so we really, it, it was just amazing. So we've experienced really, the people are really amazing. Yeah. And you know what? I think it's more um, easier with a family. Like when I traveled by myself in India, I was traveling with my boyfriend and we ended up splitting ways for about two weeks and he went here and I went here so I was by myself and geez you know as a single woman in India back 25 years ago um I could have disappeared and never <laughs> would ever find me because I was just that naive like and a lot at that time and I'm sure it's changed now like as a western woman traveling by herself um i got approached a lot by men do you know what i mean like you might you wouldn't have but as a woman by herself like it's like you know they have this westernized um view as to what we're like right we're easy we're sexy you know like all those things and i got approached and asked to you know, marry them, take them back to Canada. It's okay. They have wives here. And it was just the most uncomfortable thing. And so I was like, you know, <laughs> it's great to travel in packs of people. <laughs> actually, I, um, I've traveled by myself a lot. And before, 
this trip yes. on backpacking and I never had that feeling. Uh-huh. And also when we travel, I don't think traveling with children is necessarily helping. Sometimes in some society it helps and in other it doesn't. And so I think that for me, for me there's only two kinds of energy in the world. One is fear and one is love. And whatever you do, you cannot do it in, you have to choose, you can only do it in one on the other. You can, they can't appear at the same time. Fear and love cannot appear at the same time. So whatever you think, whatever you do, whatever you feel, whatever you say, either take, you know, either it's root either in one or the other energy. So I really, really choose consciously to nourish the thought, the whatever we say, whatever we feel in the love category. And it changes everything. And I really do believe that we could sleep in a tent everywhere we have been with our two daughters. And, you know, sleeping in the tent with no protection other than us, because we really feel that, you know, our security doesn't come from the outside, but from the inside. And it's because we feel secure in the inside that we can be secure in the outside. And I know this, everybody is, you know, it's not something that you don't hear about. It's something that people say, but saying it or living it, it's different. And that's where we had to do the difference that we don't only think that we can trust people. We actually do trust people by leaving our bikes everywhere we've been. We actually feel secure because we can sleep everywhere we've been. And so I think that, you know, every time we were in trouble, every time there was something really difficult, 99% of the time, it's because of misunderstanding. Let me explain. We were in Syria one time, sleeping in a tent, and two men, two men came in our tent, opened the door, uh, opened the zipper. And here we look at these two men and one was having, his, uh, in his hand he had an ax. I thought, what? And I think in my eyes, he, he saw that I was afraid. And he kind of moved his ax a little bit away so I couldn't see it anymore. And through the discussion, we understand that they were actually afraid. They were, they were afraid of us. They didn't know who we were. So they didn't want to arm us. They just wanted to know who we were. And at the end of the discussion, which was very short, they said, I'm sorry, you can sleep. Come back and have a tea with us in the morning. And so it's, it's nearly all the time the same. You know, there's so many fears that actually we give, we, uh, uh, we, we give life to so many fears just by thinking about them. And I think that's what we had to learn to do also traveling along the way is that most of our fears are not fears that are actually here in the present. They are fears of things that could come, that could arrive. You know, they're not, they're not actually here. I'm not in danger now. But, you know, it's just thinking of all, you know, these men that could do things. And by doing that, you give them power instead of thinking, well, I'm secure and I'm right now. So it really, because we cannot imagine, we never know where we'll sleep. Even when we had a five months old daughter, we never knew where we'd sleep. So we had no choice to have, we, we can't have an expectation. We don't know what is around the next corner. So we have no choice but to trust life. 
And by trusting life, you learn to really, and by having no expectation, you really learn to live in the present moment. And when you live in the present moment, that's when you can really trust life. And when you trust life, then you see all these synchronicities that happen, all this in, invisible thread that guide you in one way or the other and guide you to a magical life. And that's what we experience every single day. Just the magic of life. That's amazing. I love, I think it's the security. You said it's the feeling of security. And I think it's exuding that also, you know, when you're traveling, because I can think of times when I've been really fearful for my life and, but you have to fight that fear away because that fear can, you know, how it could take over, it could take over you. And do you, do you need that fear at that time when you <laughs> need your wits about you, you know, because you have to get through whatever it is that's making you fearful um, and to get out to the other side and you know, I can think of a, like a small handful, like a small number of things where I've truly felt fear, like down to my core, that something was going to happen. And, um, and I've always said like, you know, I don't have time for the drama that comes with it because that's when things go bad, <laughs> do you know, like, and you, and you put out that energy. So it's like putting it back and and I love that because I love what you're saying, you know, just moving forward and the positivity and, and the love will guide you to all the positive things down the road. Have you ever felt like a true fear besides that one instance in maybe it was a cycling related now that both your children are on bikes? Um, have you ever felt a fear that ever happened? Uh, a fear? Oh, there's many fears. Like this. Oh, I know. Uh, I know. The I one mean, that like really made your chest, like yeah. heart jump out of your chest yeah. when you're like. Yeah. Well, you, we've been, I mean, we've been 20 meters from Grizzly. If that could be a fear. Well, I mean, fear. There is, <laughs> so there is fear. There's things that happen. I'm not saying that nothing happened, but you can, either think about all the things that happen and that 99% won't happen or just leave the present moment and when there's something, then deal with it, right? Because when it's gonna happen, even if you thought 20 million times before, it's not gonna help you to deal with it, okay? So what happened is that, of course, you need to know, okay, when you're meeting a grizzly, you need to know what to do, that you need to know. But you're not thinking about the fear, you're thinking about what you should do. <laughs> yeah. It's different. And so, yes. yes, for me, but it's fear is very complicated. So for me, the grizzly was not the problem. What was the problem? It was the fear that was behind it. And my fear was not the grizzly. What the grizzly was actually symbolizing was my fear of not being able to protect my children. I was not afraid for me, I was afraid for my children. And so this is something that because we're traveling the world and we have no place to hide, we have no house to go back to, we have no, we are in the world, we are out there and experimenting what there is. We had to learn to really recognize our fear. 
So when I disappear of the grease, the eye to really look into me to say, okay, what's really out there? Why does it make me feel so scared? And so I really looked of what it was. And then, uh, because it wasn't, it was not when I met the Grizzly, it was before I had the fear. And so I realized that it was the fear of really not being able to protect my children. And so I had to really work on this fear, not to go through it or push it or not to dismiss it, but to really accept it, to invite it in my life. You know, when you really um, invite or welcome a fear, then instead of being this huge dragon that is so big, or instead of being this little one that you push away, and you know, like the Mushu in uh, Mulan in Walt Disney, then it's, it's a fear that is your size. It's like the dragon that is at your size. And then you can just take it by the end and you can walk with your fear. And it doesn't mean that you won't be afraid. It just means that you won't, um, that you can still go forward. You can still move forward, accepting and welcoming your fear. And that just makes you human. You know that we're all human, we all have fears, but no need, there's real fears. There are fears that are really there. There are fears that you can work on, on it. There's fears that are inside you. And then there are the fears that are, you know, the <laughs> little cyclist that is in your head. The little cyclist that is in your head, you don't need that fear. You can just, yeah. you know, take it away. The fears that are in your heart, then it's more difficult. You really have to learn to walk with it and to welcome it. And somehow, when you learn to walk with it, then often it kind of moves away. Because that then it the bear? It moved away. That, well, what happened to the bear? Yeah, it was. He, so meeting the bear was never the actual. When I met the bear, there's no time for fear. It's just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's just action. It's just like you have to be the, here and you have to think right. So there's no time for the fear. Fear is not part of the equation. Um, so we did the right thing. The bear just moved away. Then we, we met a couple of bears pretty close. But then after a while, it felt that my fear that was really inside me and that was really moving me and that was really kind of uncomfortable was not as strong. Like I could sleep better. I wasn't just awake by every little noise, um, something like that. Is that um, when so you were yeah, in Alaska? Um, Alaska, we traveled through. So yeah, I didn't explain that part. So when we reached New Zealand, then we, never, we didn't stop there. We really had the code for the wide places of the earth. So we decided to cycle in a spiral around the great northern place, the great northern horizon, that's how we call it. So we went to the most northern island of Japan, Hokkaido, then we cycled through Siberia, um, facing Lake Baikal, this sacred sea, then we went through Mongolia, and we cycled, so then Phoebe was born at that time, so she was born between Hokkaido and Siberia, and, oh, uh, <laughs> and we cycled, he was just one year. She just turned one year when we cycled through the Gobi Desert. So it's one of the coldest desert in the world. And uh, it was just an amazing, amazing um, experience. The girl just loved it. It was very interesting cycling through Mongolia, 
Um, so we cycled through Mongolia and uh, it's pretty, it's quite intense cycling through Mongolia. You have to be very autonomous um, to be able to cycle through Mongolia. And once we arrived in Ulaanbaatar, we already realized everything we did, you know, cycling through Siberia and the first part of Mongolia. And then we were facing the Gobi Desert and we really had the intuition that we wanted to travel there. But we looked at the fact, um, we looked at the water point, the wind direction, uh, the food point. We had an idea of where we had an old Russian map with old well that we could use in case we really needed water. So we had to look at all these things. And, and after that, as we always do, there's the information we need to get when we travel wide places to be sure of where we can get food and water and most of the basic information. And then we really feel what is inside us. We feel what is, you know, what we feel. Is it okay for us to do it or is it not okay? Do we feel that, you know, we feel like we can trust and we are fine with the decision or we feel that there's a lot of fear and it's not okay for us. And so we always say that each of us has to do that. And if one of us say no, then we won't go. So it was a yes. So we decided to go in the Gobi Desert. And it was amazing because it's a place where you can imagine it's, it's just wide expanses and there's just nothing to tell you the distance. So there's only the, the clouds in the, in the sky that can tell you basically. And the stars at night. Pretty much. Yeah. And, and, and it's very, we had really harsh winds. It can be, get very austere and very harsh. Um, but at the same time, there's a magic. And we had the feeling as more as we were diving in the desert, the more we had to get, you know, get rid of all the, the layers of protection. It was as if we get really bare, we get, we were, you know, getting bare as the desert, like, you know, getting rid of everything until at one point we felt we were one with the desert. It's like every fold of the land was part of us. And it was just an amazing experience. And for the girls, it's the same. They, um, so, you know, we cycled through the Gobi and I'm, you know, still worried about how they were doing and everything. But they, Nyla was doing some swimming pool for the insect, without water, of course, but she was making some things in the sand for the insect. And then Phoebe, I remember, she just started walking. So she was walking in the desert. And then she had, they, they have this huge spike there that looked like a star. But it, they very big and she would walk on them and then she would stop. And then when she stopped, we knew we had to go to her and we look at her feet and she probably had five or six in her feet. She <laughs> never cried. She just walked, stopped, take off the, we take off the spike and she keep go walking. It was amazing. And when we left there, like they got so much they really were part of the desert. They were, they, you know, they touched the, in every desert, there's a magic and it really comes out of the invisible. And Nyla and Phoebe really touched that magic because when they left, Phoebe, uh, sorry, Nyla kept asking, you know, for months, when are we going back to the Gobi Desert? Even if there's nothing, it was, it's just amazing. And maybe, now that we are in a topic of the girls, we can speak a little bit about home, homeschooling or way schooling or tent schooling. Yes, um, I was going to say that because like you're doing a lot, well, obviously you're doing a lot of homeschooling. So do you stop and 
how do you do your homeschooling? Do you travel and then stop and homeschool or do you, do you travel and stop in a place? Like, how do you do your travels? Are, are you on the road all the time? You must stop. Well, I don't know why we have this idea that children or adults only learn when they do either when they go to school or they take any kind of um, teaching. Mm -hmm. We are learning all the time. Learning of part, is part of everyday life. And I think that's actually what makes people alive is the fact that mm -hmm. we are learning. So we don't stop to learn. We're learning all the time. And we take all the opportunities that our life gives us to not to teach them, but to learn together. So let me explain. Um, well, they know geography because they've been there. They know history through the history of the country. Um, they learn um, um, languages because they speak with the, lang with the people. So Naila is fluent in French and English. She can speak a little bit of Japanese, a little bit of Chinese, some words of, of Russian. Um, we, uh, we, um, sorry, we, so the concept, you know, Teaching a concept to a child is very difficult. Teaching mm -hmm. a desert to a child is very difficult. But living in the desert gives you all the teaching you need. You know what a desert is. You know what is you know, taking care of the water when you live through a desert. Um, they've been experiencing life in altitude, life in the desert, life in a jungle. They've been, um, they, they know religion because they were praying with the people. It's just not something that you can teach children. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they saw people, they met people that had a face and that were explaining about their face. And then they understand what face is about. They understand, you know, different kind of social interaction of, uh, it, it's just amazing. They learn that you can eat with a fork or with hand or with chopsticks. And right. so all this learning is, is basically tinked. Um, it's, you know, the, their playground or their school is uh, uh, across the borders and is tinged with the culture of the country we, we're passing along. And mm -hmm. one thing we, we've seen is, you know, for example, in the prairie, this summer we crossed the prairie and we met um, some antelopes. And when we met the antelopes, we didn't know there was antelopes in the prairies. No idea. And so... Like in Canada? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. and so Naila and we were amazed. It was great. It was an amazing encounter. And then we get to the chance to learn about, you know, the antelopes. And we, what is amazing is that we are not the teacher. You know, we mm -hmm. just are there, we're learning with them. So it's a different approach. And so, so we take all the chance to learn. But yes, we start. We, when, so when, during the day, one part of the day, we would stop for about, we don't stop, but for about an hour, uh, either when we stop to eat lunch, either when we stop to have, um, you know, at the end of the day in front of the tent, they time to write a little bit and to read and maybe to do some mathematics, even if we do a lot of mathematics through the markets, for example. Right. Oh, yes, of course. That's a great place to learn math when you're going out yeah. shopping in the markets. I totally agree. Now, um, I have a question. Do you take technology with you? Like when you sit there and you're like, okay, let's learn about the Gobi Desert. Like, 
do you have anything that you can pull up and do some research or how do you, you know, like I'm saying, like, do you have an iPad with you? Cause you do writing. So you have to, you have to transcribe or do you do it all written? Yeah. So, um, well, it's interesting because the three first years we had nothing with us. Right. So, um, and we learned to do it without anything. Even we had no GPS, we just had paper maps and it was great. It was amazing. We had to stop paper maps. So awesome. And uh, yeah. most of the time, the information we get is actually from the people. And they are the most mm -hmm. valuable information because if you want to know what's going to be out there, you'd, it's better to ask local people than to ask any other information on the web. Um, so we learned to really ask people. Uh, but then, of course, yes, we have a computer because we're working along the way. And um, it really depends where we are. Um, in some places in the Gobi Desert, you have 4G reception on your mobile phone. In some place oh. in Alaska and Canada, you don't have any reception for days no. or weeks. <laughs> so uh, it really... It's really That's funny. Where you are. Um, yeah, it's the opposite of what we can imagine. Sometimes. In the middle of the so desert, but not in Canada, which doesn't surprise yeah. me. But <laughs> so yeah, it it really depends where we are. But we um, once you know, we don't need to have the information straight away, and that's mm -hmm. what we learn. We're living the present moment, but uh, you see the antelope. You know, it's still there, even if you had mm -hmm. to wait a few days before they get the information, the, right. the, the excitement about it is still there. So then right. you know that it's what she will learn about the antelope, she will remember mm -hmm. because it was part of a story. Yes, yeah. Now I got to uh, do a little homeschooling myself last year as most families did. And um, I was very surprised that I could actually pull it off. <laughs> So, and, but the thing is that I, what I found was really fun. Um, and of course you have to embrace it. Like somebody has to do the homeschooling. So, you know, my husband was working and I can, my, my work is kind of flexible. So I carved out like two hours a day and we kind of put together a schedule and it was kind of fun because we got to kind of decide what we want to learn. And and in like in doing so i got to learn things too and i think the kids got to learn way more than they did at school because we advanced them like i was able to advance them a little bit and and it was it was kind of nice so i was like you know things like that tell me that i'm capable of doing something like that do you know because i was put in a position that i had to and I did for two months. And I'm like, you know, I could do this again. And I could do it pretty, probably yeah. pretty good. <laughs> and, actually think it's, you can teach whatever you want. I know. Children are not learning whatever you teach. They're just learning whatever they want to learn. Yeah, so like, I'm like, yeah. yeah so it's, we did anatomy, we did biology. Um, we had a craft day, so we just did, we decided what kind of craft we wanted to do. We got all the supplies and they love that one the best, of course. Um, but, and then we did math and, and we made all sorts of games, you know, that I created just like, 
you know, on paper that we could play. And it was really fun. But, um, and I look at that as like an opportunity that if we were to go and do something for a long extended period that we could keep up with schooling and learning and, and teaching, you know, cause that's kind of, that's a, you know, that's a concern. And I know that they don't have to be in school to learn lots of stuff because we're here at home. We do a lot of prepping, um, dehydrating, you know, um, my husband's getting into hunting, not hunting, but trapping. So there's that whole, you know, concept of living off the land that we are getting into. And, um, and I said to my husband, I said, this is the time for you to start teaching us how to skin an animal, let's say, right. Um, and, and things like that. But, uh, and, um, you know, to start passing on those little tips and tricks that you're learning to us. So if we were to ever, you know, have to go away and do something that we can. And that's just something that we've within our, our own family for the last, you know, five, six years that kind of preparing ourselves for whatever comes down, you know, that we can survive without having a, you know, like a house over our head and, you know, disposable stuff and things like that. Do you ever think about that? Like the, you know, your future as to where you want to finish up or finish your travels or settle down? Is there a plan like that? No, because it's our life now. Oh, it's not a hey. travel. It's our life. So there's no, it's not about, um, for us being nomad is not something that, it's a life choice and mm -hmm. as every life choice, we choose it every day. So we're conscious that we're choosing it now. And so if one time we want to stop and if one time one of us is not in balance anymore and wants something else, then we can create another, another life. Right. That's not a problem. Mm -hmm. so we, See, that's, we that's the flexibility is nice. Yeah, we don't have to do that. We don't have to wake right. up and be like, oh, we're cycling or oh, no. We just, uh, it's the, the idea is that we're responsible for our life choice and that mm -hmm. we choose now to be happy and to have the life that we want. Right. And as I said, to bring magic to our life now. Have you ever been in a place where you said, you would say to yourself, you know, like, I could see myself coming back here and staying for a long period of time. Like you've been to lots of places. Is there one place that sticks in your head where like, you know, this is a really nice place and I would come back for a longer period. Yes, there's places that we would love to go back. Um, of course, we haven't found the place because maybe we would have stopped <laughs> I don't know. But uh, no, there's many places uh, that we really loved um, and that we know we'll go back to. Um, we really like Mongolia. We like the wild places. So Mongolia, we liked a part of Central Asia. We, um, we really mm -hmm. like Japan also and, uh, and the Yukon. So there's places oh. that we really enjoy. That's very uh, expansive. Yeah. Like that's 
Mongolia, Yukon, Japan. Where would you now, has there ever been talk like, you know, in the future of settling down? Like, I know that this is kind of what you're doing now, but 10 years? You know what? We, you know what? We're very good during this time now. Now it's COVID. Yeah, time. this time's Everybody interesting. Is out, right? Especially yes. because nothing can be, um, you can't have a, any expectation. The future is that this huge thing that nobody knows about. Mm. Well, we leave that for the last 10 years. And for us, living the present moment is not a problem anymore. We've learned to live in the unknown. And right. so, Learning to live in the unknown means that we have no intention to ever plan what's going to happen in the next 10 years. Okay. Because if you plan what's going to happen in the next 10 years, how can you be, you know, living, how can you follow what life, you know, is bringing you? Right. And so, yes, we have kind of intention, but they are bigger. They are a bigger picture. They're not a smaller picture. They're not a small objective. They are a bigger picture. When mm -hmm. we decided to leave New Zealand, I said, to New Zealand, I said we made the decision of what we wanted. And right. so we made the biggest decision of what we want out of our life. We're, but we don't decide things like where we want to settle. Because then right. you're bringing all your option down. Why would you do that? I know. But sometimes you're like, you know, like that place we went through, that would be somewhere that you know, I would like to settle down. Like I would like to go back to and, and yeah. make it a place of, so, yeah. So yeah, yes, we have places that we really like to go back to, mm -hmm. but we don't, um, I don't know how to say that. It's not something we don't have to put it in a box saying, okay, in 10 years, I want to be there and settle there. Right. What I'm saying is that okay, it's a place that I like, and maybe we'll go back there. Maybe things open, we might end up there and living there, but yeah. maybe not. And that's so that's a good question. Like, because you're in Quebec right now. Yes. Now, you were in Quebec because you were. How did you end over in Quebec? Is that when you went up to Alaska and you came back down this way? Yeah, we cycled from Alaska all the way here. Okay. So now, now you're stuck in Quebec. <laughs> well, uh, kind of. It's a choice. It's a choice. Yeah, it sucks. Um, when, like... <laughs> when, we, when we arrived in, uh, in Quebec, it was the beginning of the winter season and it was getting, um, yeah, you know, pretty red everywhere for COVID. So we decided because of that, that we, we would stop for the winter. So we stopped, uh -huh. uh, we are now near Lake Saint-Jean. Yeah. And so, and so we staying here until the warmer, um, until, you know, the, the light of spring come back. Yeah. So, so what's your, what's your plan moving forward? Like, are you going to go to Halifax and Newfoundland so or are you? Yeah, so as I said, we so the idea from the last five years was to cycle around the Great Northern Horizon. So we still have that idea to cycle all the way. Um, so hopefully to maybe Halifax and then in Iceland and then Northern Europe, Scandinavia. Oh, okay. But then yeah. now um, 
we don't know exactly where we can, we will be able to cycle. So we just leave it open at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's not the time to make any decision yet. So we'll, we'll wait until it's, uh, it's closer to when we have to leave to really decide where we will go and which route we'll take. Right. Yeah, that's a lot of, so you wouldn't consider going down into the States? Like you're definitely going to go back up? Uh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe things will change. But at the moment, uh, yeah, the idea was to <laughs> get around the into the States faster. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Uh, but yeah, at the moment, it was the idea was mostly to move across and uh, um, kind of finish our circle around the Great Northern Horizon. Uh, right. But if that doesn't happen, then yes, we might change some some things and and move in you know different way. Right. I know this is a lot of uncertainty for a lot of us. Um, okay. I think actually we covered all my questions in some way or form. Now, um, so right now, what's like a typical day look like for you and the kids? Are you doing lots of exploring around where you are? Yeah, we're doing a lot of uh, playing on the frozen lake. So we're just in oh. front of the, so we're exploring a lot on the frozen lake with skis and snowshoes and um, so playing a lot outside. That's uh, an important thing for us to play outside. Mm -hmm. And then um, we are working a lot on, uh, we're making actually a new photography book. Oh, so very cool. Um, so this is taking us a, a lot of time. And, uh -huh. uh, and uh, yeah, we'd be taking time to do things that we cannot do when we are on the road. So we have an oven now, so we bake some bread. Um, nice. Things like that, you know, more difficult to do when, uh, when we are on the road. Um, right. So yeah, we're, doing, we're just um, trying to find a balance between everything, you know, school for the, for the, for Nylon TV, going outside, mm -hmm. uh, doing a lot of work with everything that we have to do and that is more difficult to do when we are on the road. So. <laughs> it is a lot different, right? When you're stationed, like you're stationary and you're like, okay, I've got 10 hours in the day. How am I going to split it up now? Because now I've got work and I've got exactly. homeschooling. And <laughs> it's actually very funny because we're better when we know it than when we are sedentary. And actually, whenever, like, it's the second time we really stop. We stopped one winter in the Yukon and uh, we had the chance to spend the winter in the Yukon with, you know, the amazing Northern Lights. It was incredible. Oh, yeah. And we had the chance. So, the most time, it's really hard to go from nomads to sedentary. And mm -hmm. it's actually take time because we, we used to be sedentary. So for us, it's very easy to go back to. So whenever we're in a house, Sally's like, I'm doing my thing. And I'm like, I'm doing my thing. And then the girls are like, but wait, you know, it's easy now. We have water, running water. We don't have to, you know, filter the water in the river. We don't have to run, you know, to find a place to sleep. So we can play all the time. What are you doing, guys? <laughs> And so it's um, like, you know, yeah, it takes some time to adjust, uh, right. but we really learn one thing. I think I, I, I like to joke about it, but I think a thing that made our, something that made our couple very strong, and I think our family very strong is that we're sleeping in the same tent. 
So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, Xavier's got the tent, I got the sleeping bag, you have the food, I have the, 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 the stove. And so we, it's like, we, we can't escape. There's no escape to communication. You know, it's, right. the tent is very small. You can't just yeah. go in another room. So you have to yeah. speak. And I think, I think we really learn to feel what is inside us and to express yeah. our need. And I think it's a little bit the, our most important thing about you know, living together. And by doing that, by being able to communicate, we can really settle a lot of things. Oh yeah, you can settle a lot of things fast. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's no having like, well, I'm upset with you and I'm just going to go over here and um, not talk to you about it for like a week. You're like, no, no, no. <laughs> we're going to talk about right now and we're going to take care of it right now. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. it's good, right? Sometimes it's a little bit explosive, but yeah. at, the same time, <laughs> at the same time, what is good is that you don't have to wait and make it bigger you know sometimes when mm-hmm. you wait either you make it smaller or you make it bigger because you think by yourself mm-hmm. and so i think that helped a lot it was it was it was hard um it's getting easier but uh, mm-hmm. sometimes it's still hard <laughs> but yeah we really <laughs> communicate yeah well um, it's interesting to know that you're still going through things like that even in your situation because i imagine it would be way more critical to have really good communication skills especially when you're you know like you're traveling together you're cycling somebody has to take care of this put up tent you know like just the you know the routine you know yeah, when it's minus 30 in mongolia and it's winter you don't want to be on both <laughs> like you want to be on the same side right yeah that's right you don't want to be taking any time who's doing to do what i'm just going to take that tent you can get stuff and we'll get all right <laughs> Yeah, I love that. And I imagine you must give the girls tasks to do while like as part of the setup teardown, like this is their responsibilities and, um, you know, whether it's taking out the sleeping bags or putting them back together, or getting their stuff together and things like that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, a, it's a balance we have to find. Um, mm-hmm. Also because they... Uh, so Naila is cycling quite a lot, so it's yeah. for her it's a lot, and so we need we want her to have some playtime too. So it's a balance mm-hmm. between what between what happened during the day also. So there's nothing typical really nowadays. Everything is changing all the time, but right. uh, according to what happens. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know I could ask you questions all day long, um, <laughs> but okay. One last one, because I'm going to ask about cycling. Now, with the kids, you obviously had to, at the time, prepare them and their legs for longer cycling days. Like, you can't just put on your your daughter on a bike and say, hey, we're going to cycle for, like, six hours, and that's it. We've got to get to this spot. And and did you, uh, I imagine, like, What's the longest day that you would ride together as a family? So that's a tricky question. Um, yeah. It's not so simple. So the thing is, so Phoebe now is cycling by herself. She's three mm-hmm. years old, cycling by herself on cycling path, of course, not where there's traffic. Um, right. Nyla 
is cycling by itself most of the time. But I have a tandem system behind me. It's called Follow Me. And so we can oh, attach okay. yeah, either Phoebe or Nyla's bike behind my bike. And so when they're tired, they can go on the Follow Me system. And then okay. if Phoebe is tired, she can go on the trailer, on the trailer trailer right. that is behind Daddy. So okay. Phoebe is like three choice and uh, Nyla is also three choice, but usually the, she doesn't go in the child anymore. Right. And so what, what we did is from the beginning, we decided we have to be, um, to really adjust ourselves to Nyla and Phoebe's rhythm because they were so yeah. small when we left. Uh, the idea was that we were living a life. We're just not doing it for a few days or a few weeks. And mm -hmm. so we wanted them to feel good. So what yeah. we did is that we didn't necessarily cycle less kilometer in a day, which was, right. it's usually 50 to 60. That is a good average for us. Um, right. That enable us to stop and, you know, meet people, go to see a temple or things like that. Mm -hmm. But that also enables us to stop. So we cycle maybe for an hour, an hour and a half, and then we stop for at least minimum one hour to two hours. And then we start again. And we do session like that. So in between, right. they can play, stop. If there's playground, we stop at playground so they can play with the children. So mm -hmm. to really make it fun and, and kind of break it down. But of yeah. course, when we are in places, uh, because we where we need to cycle more because of food or water point then it's more up to 70 kilometer a day uh, right. average so that's sometimes quite a lot so Nyla can sometimes not cycle the full 70 kilometers and then she mm -hmm. sometimes go on the time system or things like that but yeah. um so for us the idea is that she cycle what she wants and then she mm -hmm. can go on another like on the system so she doesn't have to be too tired and yeah right. the idea is that they enjoy it right of course yeah we did a a road trip across the united states over a month and it was that like stop playground stop <laughs> water park for a day you know like this little like okay we're gonna drive another eight hours but then we're gonna spend the whole day at the water park and we're gonna and yeah I get you, we you definitely need to add those fun elements in and camping and it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of kilometers we did. And uh, wouldn't we like went down to the coast and across to Montana, then up to Calgary and back around. It was 11,000 kilometers driving. That's uh, a lot. Yeah. A lot of driving but we saw a lot of cool things and um and you know like but then my son's like i don't ever want to drive that much again <laughs> like i get it would you know i think the thing is be like spending more time at certain places you know like maybe an extra day and a night and you know playing with friends like you know because we met people along the way all the time and like they play with the kids that are in the campground next to us and you know but uh you know chopping it up to shorter days probably would be a little bit more acceptable for them <laughs> but uh but yeah so this has been amazing we've gone over an hour but i could sit here and and ask you questions 
like forever. Um, but we might just have to have you back. Okay. After like in about six months or a year to see where you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it'd be so cool if you were, you know, outside and, and just sharing like the, the adventures of the last, you know, like getting out of Canada. <laughs> but uh so with that do you want to bring your daughter in uh yeah go around (laughs) oh it's okay oh she comes cool Do you want to tell me what your most favorite place was that you liked? Japan. Japan? Really? What was it about Japan that you liked? Um, the, the sakura. The sakura? It's a, it's a flower, uh, a tree. It's a tree. It's, um, these flower and bloom on the tree. It's the cherry, the cherry tree in Japan, and it's oh, very wow. beautiful. And they actually, yeah, they actually um, made it uh, very special in the culture because they, there's a anami. It's it's a name that they use to to actually contemplate the flowers because for them the flowers is kind of, uh, uh, it's kind of uh, uh, how is. It's like, it's like life. It's like, a, it's like oh, okay. a, it symbolizes life and the oh. fact that you want to live your life to the fullest and then to kind of die the way the sakura flower dies. So they, you know, once they reach the full beauty, they just fly away in the wind. Wow. So did you experience um, like a whole, um, I want to say like a, um, like a, a, a presentation or a show around the tree, or is it just something that you learnt when you were there about oh, we just, the tree? Yeah, we learned with the people. Yeah. Oh, okay. Learned, wow. Contemplate the flowers and to now. cycle under the, the petal of flowers. Oh my gosh, and have them all fall on you? Did you keep one and press it in a book? did you (gasps) whoa so that's your reminder of japan that beautiful flower the maple trees from japan also okay wow cool so are you liking it in quebec where you are yeah you liking skating and skiing and snowshoeing yeah, she's just missing. What are you missing a little bit? Some friends. Some friends, huh? With the COVID, it's not so easy to make friends. Oh, she's missing some. Friends. Yeah. You and our kids too. It's a good. Well, we're lucky they're back at school. But the thing is that you can't have play dates. They're lucky they get to see their kid, their friends in classes. 
So yeah, I hear you. I don't get to see my friends either. They're all online like this. <laughs> but once the summer, once the winter leaves, then we get to go and we're gonna go bike riding together. And we were hoping to see you guys, but you're gonna be moving on, coming back to Ottawa. I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. who knows? We might be back, but uh, I think we mostly go east. But who knows? We okay. never know. <laughs> well, you're more than welcome to stay at our place. We got lots of place to camp, and we're right beside the water. We're in Chelsea. You can go north. I think yeah. you can probably go all the way to Manawaki, um, uh, a bit to be no. There's a bit to be up there, a bit to be like uh -huh. Georgian yeah. Bay from where we are. Okay, so. that should be a good idea. <laughs> and there's a good little rail trail, not too far, but you can ride on. So we would love to have you if you decide to come back this way. <laughs> so with that, oh my gosh, thank you so much for jumping in. I want to thank, thank our much. listeners for tuning in and uh, for Celine for coming on and sharing this amazing, um, you know, just your amazing life. And um, I hope everybody uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and you share this with your friends, uh, write a review, um, give us a five-star rating. Um, and of course, make sure that you go and check out all the links that I'm going to put in the description. Bye. Um, that's linked to Celine's website, their book. Um, and if you want to book her for a speaking engagement, she does those for corporate, for groups. Um, they have quite a bit that you can check out. Um, it, it's really, really worth it. Um, so I'm going to put, um, and also the articles, a lot of those articles are the ones that you have written, right? For all those magazines. Yeah. All their articles. Um, yeah. There's quite a bit to explore on their website. It's quite impressive. Um, so with that, do you have any last minute words or advice for anybody who's? Uh, yeah, good? sure. I think, uh, I think my biggest advice is that there's no limit to the life you can imagine and mm -hmm. that, you know, even as a family. And so really breathe in the power of the earth to fully live your life and really, you know, follow your heart. And so then you bring magic to your life and to the world. I love that. I love that. And maybe I will do a bike tour in your honor. Oh yeah, great. <laughs> Let us know. know. I got the next 10 years, we got the next 25 years to do something extraordinary. So with that, thank you so much again, Celine. It's been an honor and um, make sure you get on the podcast and listen through and go to the YouTube channel as well. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you again. And before you take off, I have a couple quick announcements, cycling related, of course. So I have my online bike maintenance webinar, though you'll learn how to change your tires, repair broken chains, 
adjust your brakes, and learn how to use all the tools that are in your bike bag that you should be carrying with you, go to bmcwebinar.com. The next one is my four-hour cycling skills intensive course. Now, this is where you're going to get all the cycling skills you need to take your experience to the next level, whether it's on the road or online. You're going to learn proper bike pedal form that's going to help you with your efficiency. You're going to learn how to climb hills, all the skills, tips and tricks, and speed and power. Not to mention, we're going to finish off the nutrition that ties everything together. So go to cyclingskillspro.com and you can find all those information on my courses, webinars, and downloads there. Take care and have an amazing day. And remember, you're only one pedal stroke away from cycling like a pro. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast. Learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.